The following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motokare Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 709. Chapter 6, I've asked Levi to come and do our scripture reading this morning. We'll be in Romans chapter 6, verse 15 down to verse 23. This again, in today's passage, gives us strength to know that we do not have to live in bondage under sin. Do pay attention this morning as he reads from Romans chapter 6. You have a chance to see a glimpse before we get into the sermon. As Pastor said, it'll be in Romans 6. We'll start in verse 15 and read our way down through verse 23. Verse 15 says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death." But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to pray with you again this morning before we begin our time in Romans 6. So Father, I pray this morning that the truths of the scriptures would come alive in our hearts Oh, how easy it is for us to just clock in, come to church, move on with the rest of our life, and not have the gospel transform us. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that the truths of the scripture would be made clear in our hearts. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable unto you, O Lord, my God and my Redeemer. And Father, I pray that our lives would be transformed as a result of our time together around your word this morning. I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to walk amongst us. Ignite in our hearts the love that you ignited when you drew us to yourself in salvation. I pray that you would be glorified today in Jesus and in us. It's in your beautiful name I ask these things. Amen. We'll be in Romans chapter 6 this morning, and also I'll start in Revelation 13. So if you'd like to drop a piece of paper into Romans 6, uh, we will take our first reading from Revelation chapter 13, but it'll take me a moment to get there. So if you'll follow along, I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, that if you are a believer this morning, you get to choose who you will serve. You get to choose. An unbeliever does not get to have that choice. An unbeliever is lost in their sin without the ability to overcome it. 
And yet, those who are in Christ are dead to sin and alive unto God through Christ. Our lives are hid in Christ. And this is a beautiful reality that we can live. That is our identity. We are in Christ. If you're a believer, you are in Christ. And sin separated you from God before your salvation. And I'll say it again, that sin is able to separate you again after your salvation. Sin separates us from God. If you want to know what life is supposed to be like with God, if, you're, if you want to know what it is supposed to look like, look to the only place in Scripture and the only time in mankind where we've ever had perfect unity with God, and that was in the Garden of Eden. If you want to see what it's supposed to be like, have a glimpse back to that. Perfect. Harmony. No sin. Remember, it was sin that separated Adam from God. Why would we ever want to go back to that? Why would I ever want to go back to sin that separates me from God? Instead, I want to be made right with God, and that happens through Jesus on the cross. If as a believer you are choosing to live in sin, you are going right back to the mess that was there before your salvation. And so maybe I can encourage you this morning, go to what we know, and that's the garden. Commune with God. Spend time with Him. He has, in that setting, when Adam fell in sin, He poured out His wrath on that, and we see Him pouring out His wrath again and again and again throughout Scriptures. Do not think that you will somehow live in sin and not gain the wages of it. Don't say, well, I'm saved, so I'm good to go. I don't have to worry about hell. Oh no, you will have... Penalty for sin in your life. Romans 6 talks about it. We'll see it today. There are wages. And I want to encourage you, walk away from it. He gives us the ability to. God has punished sin. He showed it all throughout the Scriptures. You saw it with the flood at Noah. I think maybe perhaps you could remember Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 13. As they were sinners exceedingly. No thought of God in their mind. They turn their back on God. And God sends fire and brimstone upon it. God punishes sin. Pours out His wrath upon sin. Think of Pharaoh in Egypt. It's time and time again. God gave him opportunities to repent of his pride. He sends in frogs and flies and hail and darkness for three days. And then as Pharaoh turns his back in pride one more time, God kills His Son. You see, God displayed all throughout the Scriptures that He will pour out His wrath upon sin. Think of the nation of Israel as they turned their back on God over and over and God allowed them to be placed into servitude to other nations. Oh, what a picture, if ever there was a picture, that if you walk away from God, you're going to be a slave. And into... Slavery, they went, and even to Babylon, if you remember, as they fell into slavery under Babylon, and then even Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar raises his head in pride against God, and God says, oh no, you don't, tweaks his brain. And then Nebuchadnezzar for seven years crawl around like a cow, literally eating grass. You see, God will not allow sin to just continue on. But then when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them who were under the law. 
And that's you and I. As the law continued to say again and again, you are a sinner, you are a sinner. God sent His only begotten Son to take our place on the cross of Calvary. And then He makes this promise, those of us that are hiding in Christ, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will receive everlasting life. This is a promise to us, and oh, that is the gospel. Jesus goes to the cross on our behalf, and at the cross, God poured out His wrath again on Jesus. Oh, friend, there is only one way to escape the wrath of God, and that is to be in Christ. As I look to the end of the Bible, I see records that God will pour out His wrath again. There's coming a day when He will do that. You're already there in Revelation chapter 13. I'll give you a lead up to verses 7 and 8, which we'll read from. And the lead up is this, that there's coming a day when God will pour out His wrath on the earth, and in that day, Satan will put forth a beast. Perhaps you've heard the phrase, the mark of the beast. I don't want you to, in your mind, run to a COVID-19 vaccination. Please, I hope we are much more spiritually mature than to say that is the mark of the beast. Don't go there. That's just stupid. For the beast will reveal himself... And the beast will be very powerful. Scripture says that in Revelation chapter 13, that he will be given great authority and he will speak great things. And he will even be able to draw people to himself and all of the peoples of the earth will follow after him. Now look what happens in chapter 13 and verses 7 and 8. And I'm going somewhere here with this, so follow with me. Revelation 13 verses 7 and 8, it says, It was given unto him, that's to the beast, to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Those who are believers in that day will be overcome by the beast. That's a terrifying thought. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. Now here's the important part. Catch this in verse 8. Those that are worshiping the beast are whom? And you'll see it in verse 8. All of those whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So here's a little bit of a background that all of a sudden we got given. There is a book of life. And that book of life belongs to the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. That's Jesus. And if you place your trust in the Lord Jesus, your name gets put in the book of life of the Lamb. And here is... That book, and brothers and sisters, if you put your name, or put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, He has put your name in the book of life. And so you do not have to worry that one day that's coming where all of the peoples of the earth will worship at the foot of the beast. For if your name is in the book of life, according to Revelation 13, 8, you will not worship there. Do not worry about that. But the important point is, all of those who are not in the book, all of the unbelievers, those who have not trusted in the Lord Jesus, will fall on their faces and worship before this wicked beast. Now come across my Bible, it's just across the page, Romans, uh, Revelation chapter 14, verses 9 and 10, continues the story. This is Revelation chapter 14, verses 9 and 10, and this is where God is now pouring out His wrath. Watch what happens, verse 9. Third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast... Remember who's worshiping the beast? Everyone whose name is not in the book of life. 
It says, if anyone is worshiping the beast in his image and receives his mark in their forehead and in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. You see more of this picture? Those who do not trust in the Lord Jesus, whose names are not in the book of life, they will worship at the feet of the beast. And when they worship, God will pour out His wrath. The picture is a cup with concentrated wrath of God. They will, the pictures, they will drink of that as God pours out fire and brimstone upon, upon them. Did you hear this? The wrath of God will be poured out on unbelievers. And then as I see in chapter 20, the same image, chapter 20, verse number 15, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's eternal separation in punishment away from God. Hopeless, helpless for eternity. You see, God has poured out His wrath on His Son. And if you will but hide yourself in Him, you will but trust in His Work on the cross for you. You do not have to worry about what happens in Revelation chapter 13, 14, and 20. But instead, friend, if you do not worship at the feet of Jesus now, one day you will have no choice but to worship at the feet of the beast in the day to come. And there will be wrath of God upon your sin in that day. So how do you escape? You hide in Jesus. Trust you, Jesus. You're my only hope. You're my only way. Spiritually, as you grow, you will find that Jesus Christ has done way more than save your soul, friend. He will sanctify you. He will change you. And as we see in Romans chapter 6, we've seen already for the last two weeks, the Gospel will transform your life. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are freed from it. You might remember from Romans chapter 6 and verse 2, we cannot serve sin long, any longer because we are dead to it. And then we saw last week in Romans chapter 6, the second, second question, he asked it again, verse number 16, don't you know that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, that's whose servant you will be. You're going to yield yourself over to sin? Well, then you're going to be sin, servant, and you will receive the wages of sin. But if you yield yourself over to God, you'll be His servant, and you will receive the rewards of that. We'll see that in our time together in Romans chapter 6 today. So I have three things that I want to point out in our passage from Romans 6, verse 16, down to verse 23. First one I want you to see is this. When you are freed from sin, you become God's servant. When you are freed from sin, you become God's servant. I'd like to read verses 16 down to verse 19 to help us see this, but then remember this is an answer to the question, should we continue to sin? Those who continue to sin are acting as if they are still sin's servant. You don't have to be sin's servant. If you are a believer, you don't have to be sin's servant any longer. So now you've been freed from sin. You are God's Servant, let's read verses 16 to 19. Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. 
Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Do you see this? You're now freed from sin so you can be God's servant. Keep reading verse 19. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness, and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. Paul says in this 16 to 19, these four verses, he says, thank God you switch sides. I hope this morning, if you're a believer, that you have fully embraced this concept that I do not have to be sin servant any longer. Instead, I have switched sides. I now have a new master. And this has come from right within. It's happened from my heart. See it in verse 17. God, be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart. Notice there's a change, and that change is going on way down deep inside of your heart. There's a change has happened here. I hope that you have not just obeyed on the outside. So that's, when I'm around other Christians, this is how I act. That's just changing on the outside. He says, no, you've obeyed from the heart. There's been a change from way down inside your heart. I think back through my life to one of... My uncles, great guy, love him, struggled for many years with smoking. I'm not going to go down a path and say, you smoke and you chew and you're a sinner. I'm not going down that path. It's just an illustration here. Here he had a struggle with smoking. And funny thing would happen, whenever he was around other Christians, I actually saw him one time, he was smoking, and while he's smoking, all of a sudden he saw everybody else and then... My brothers and I, we joked about the fact that maybe one day he might get caught and drop it down his shirt. <laughs> and I see how many people struggle with this, and I don't know, perhaps you might struggle with it, and I'm not, again, no, no condemnation here. But amazing how when a person that's struggling with smoking, that here they're, they're over and over, and they come back to it, and they can't get away from it. They come back to it, and they can't get away from it. They want to get away from it, and yet, from the heart, way down inside the heart, you, what, you really enjoy it, right? But wait for one moment, come into a doctor's office, and here comes the change. You know it's not good for you, but then you come into the doctor's office, and the doctor tells you, I've got bad news for you. You've got cancer. It's in your lungs. It's in early stage, but if you keep smoking, you're going to die. Suddenly, there's a totally different incentive to quit smoking. Do you see it? I have a feeling that if I was struggling here and I realized that this one is going to kill me, suddenly it no longer holds a sway over me because I see it for what it is. It's that thing that's going to kill me. Again, I'm not going to go so far as to say you chew, you smoke, you're a sinner. That's not where I'm going with this. Here's where I'm going with this. When you realize that something is in your life and it's going to destroy you, you get rid of it. That's what Paul's saying about sin. So in sin, drunkenness no longer holds sway over you. 
You see it for what it is and you realize this is a sin and I'm not going to let it hold sway over me for it will destroy me. I'm going to have a change from my heart or maybe gossip no longer can control you. You will instead control that little member that starts so many fires as we saw in James 3 last week. That little member, you're going to control it now because you know I no longer am controlled by sin. It no longer holds dominion over me. Or maybe it was stealing that attracted you and now you are going to control your members. Your hands will no longer go after it and lust can no longer hold power over you. Instead, you will take control of your mind and you will avert your eyes and you will have control over your members instead of allowing sin to have control over your members. You have the ability to do it. And Paul says, you've obeyed God from the heart. You see, if you obey God from the heart, it's going to change what happens on the outside. But then look in verse 17 as he goes further. He says, you've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. That form of doctrine. So the word form, the word form here is the same word in in Greek, the same word. And in those days, you can just imagine this idea. It's the same as a mold. Not M-O-U-L-D like stinky, nasty mold, but mold, M-O-L-D. As in, it's going to create a way to form something. So you can think in those days, maybe they need to make an arrow, and they're going to take the metal, and they're going to melt it down, and they need to pour it into a mold that will then... I think the best modern example of this would be for ladies with a pattern. If you're going to do some sewing, you would understand the idea of a pattern, and here's the pattern, and we're going to take the cloth and place it against the pattern, and we will follow the pattern, if you you follow me there. And so here's the idea, there's a mold that's there, and I need to be conformed to the mold in order for me to be changed. And he says, you have obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine. So the doctrine is the form, and I come to it, I'm melted, I'm changed, and I take on the way that it looks is now the way I look. So I obey, his, verse 17, I'm obeying from the heart the form of doctrine that has been delivered unto you. I'll give you a statement, and this is an old statement for the church has held on to this statement for many, many years. Orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy. In other words, right belief leads to right behavior. So don't, you don't have to really worry about those old words, orthodoxy, orthopraxy. You don't have to worry about those words. But here's the idea. Right belief leads to right behavior. So if I believe correctly, I will act correctly. That's the same phrase here. I have b- obeyed from the heart, belief, the form of doctrine. And so what is our doctrine that we can believe? I'm dead to sin. It no longer has any power over me. That's Romans chapter 6. If I can believe that Jesus can save me, I can also believe that Jesus can sanctify me. I'm going to have a change in my life that results as a change in my heart. And then also notice in verse 18, he talks about us moving from being slaves to sin to now being God's servant. See it in verse 18. It says, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. You see that I put on the board God's servant, and you might read in verse 18, servants of righteousness. Let me show you where I get God's servant. I think you could make the mental connection between God's servant and righteous servant. You'll see those, but the God's servant is in this passage. Look at verse 21. But now being made free from sin, 
and become servants to God. So here's what's going on. Paul says, if you're a servant to God, you're going to be a servant to righteousness. Your life is going to be changed. You will no longer be be controlled by sin. God has reshaped you. He's used the mold of doctrine to change who you are. And now you're obeying from the heart. So you can believe it. You can know it. And it will change how you act. And then he gives us a command in verse 19. Look at the command. Verse 19. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. That statement just simply means sometimes when we give a theological idea in order for it to fit, we need to give a human illustration. And so his human illustration is that of slavery. Roman day, one-third of the population were slaves. Some born into it, some captive into it, one-third of them. So when he talks about slaves, they all know you're going to be a slave, and when you're a slave, this person controls your life. So when he says, I speak to you after a manner of the flesh, that's what he's talking about. Let me show you a human illustration. And here's what he says in the, as a command. For as you yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity under iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. That's the command. Just the same way that you gave yourself over to sin before, now give yourself over to Jesus. And let God be the one that controls you. You are a servant of God unto righteousness. Here's another way to think of it. Your life should be different now that you're a believer. Oh, I hope that you did not put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ just so that you could get out of hell. For there is so much more for your Christian life. Your life should be different. There's a caution in verses 20 and 21 that reminds us of what happens if we choose to remain slaves to sin. So let me read verses 20 and 21, and that will give us our second point. Our second point, by the way, those who are servants to sin will not escape its wages. Those who are servants to sin will not escape its wages. Let's see it in verses 20 and 21. Here's the caution. For when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had you then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. When you were servants of sin, that's before you were a believer, you were a servant to sin, you could not escape it. When you were a servant to sin, you were freed from righteousness. Remember Matthew 6.24? No man can serve two masters. Either one or the other. When you were a servant to sin, you were free from righteousness. And by the way, this is going to be a play on words that he's going to give in just a few minutes because he's going to tell us when you become a servant of God, you'll be freed from sin. That's a beautiful thing. So he says right now, you're, when you were a servant to sin, you were freed from righteousness. And there was a penalty for that. See it in verse 21. What fruit did you have in that sinful life? What was it? Shame. I think that every one of us knows that. I think every one of us has experienced that. You name whatever sin it is that's in your life, that has been a part of you, whatever sin it is, when that sin gets exposed, nothing there but shame. And follow it through, guess what the end of it is? The end of verse 21, the end of those things is death. Nothing to look forward to by being a servant to sin. But instead... I can be freed unto righteousness. But while I was a servant of sin, I had no part of righteousness. 
Isn't it amazing that while we are under sin, we thought we were free? And oh, how sin makes righteousness look like enslavement, and yet it's sin that is enslavement. I think we have a dog in our family that is a good illustration of this. Becky and I adopted a dog from the RSPCA, I don't know, maybe six, eight months ago, something like that. Her name at that time was Maggie. I didn't like that name, so we changed it. Now we call her Coco. Uh, Maggie sounded like a lady's name or a brand of noodles, so I passed on that. So we renamed her as Coco. Uh, Coco is a very lucky dog. She came from the RSPCA, and when we got her, she was as skinny as it comes. She is now a very fat dog. She sleeps on my bed. In case you didn't catch that, I'll say it again. That dog is one very blessed dog. (laughs) When my girls came for a few months, Ariel said, Dad, I love this dog. I would like to take it back to America with me. I want to do the homework and find out what that takes, and I will pay to take this dog. I said, no, you will not take that dog to America. That dog is already blessed enough by living in my house. This dog has been blessed beyond measure. Becky, every morning, cooks eggs for me and her. And every morning, Becky scrapes off a little corner of the eggs that she has prepared in our breakfast and gives them to that lucky little dog. This dog has been blessed. That dog came from a totally different background. That dog was very much a street dog at one time. She has scars all over her belly, and she has scars on her ears. So I have no idea what her story before the RSPCA was, but that dog has been through some mess. One thing's for sure, all of the other dogs on the campus know to not mess with her because if she gets cornered, she will come out. (laughs) She's one amazing fighter. I think she got that from the streets. She's a very small dog, but she's quite the fighter. Almost every dog on campus she has cornered and drawn blood. (laughs) She's a fighter. She's a very blessed dog in that she gets to live in my house. And I would say her living in my house with, especially more Becky than me, when she lives in our house, she gets freedom. She gets to sleep on the foot of my bed. And yet, something strange happens in that dog's brain. When we let her go outside, she looks at the fence and she thinks, I cannot believe how enslaved I am in this yard. I'll tell you, in fact, when we, leave, when we first got her, it was really bad. We left her inside the house. If I left her inside the house, she shredded the floor to try to get out the front door. She went down one hallway and shredded a hole this big to try to get through the drywall rock at the end of the hallway. She hole in the wall to try to get out. Bad news for her, she got through the rock and there was a brick wall behind it. <laughs> this dog thinks that Having to live with Matt and Becky is enslavement. And you know what that dog does? Anytime she can, and the guys that work around here, they know it because we're constantly fixing the fences. That dog thinks that she has to be outside of the fence. And when she finally makes it outside of the fence, she runs like nobody's business. And when she's running, I can just imagine in her mind, she's going, finally, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. And all I can think is, you're stupid, you're stupid, you're stupid. Because run as far as you want to that way, you will not find a single drop of water. 
And you will run to your heart's content and you will die of dehydration. Or you can turn and run that way all the way to the road and even though you were a street dog at one time, now you are a fat slow dog and those highway trucks will run you over. Oh, how often we look back at sin and we think of its glamour and we think, oh, how wonderful that would have been or that would be for me to run back to the freedom of sin and we don't realize it was enslavement. It never had our best at heart. Oh, remember, there is freedom at the hand of the Father. Come back to the Heavenly Father, for in therein you will find freedom. Notice the words that he uses in verse 19. He said, You used to yield your members, servants, to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity. That's Paul's way of saying sin never fills up its appetite. Never. Sin will take and take and take and take. Maybe you remember this from Cain. You remember Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel? Or if you're from this side of the world, Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, and there they were, brothers. And Abel offers a sacrifice to the Lord, and the Lord accepted it. You remember that? There's the Lamb. And God accepted the Lamb. Oh, what a beautiful picture of what was to come on the cross. And Cain offers the best he has. Now, I'm going to give him, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. He didn't have the book of Leviticus yet to know that the life of the flesh is in the blood. He doesn't have that yet. He doesn't yet have Galatians to know that when the fullness of time was come, God was going to... He doesn't have any of that stuff. So maybe he looked at his brother and he said, I see that you gave the best, so I'll give my best. Maybe that was it. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And in that moment, God did not accept Cain's offering, instead accepted Abel's offering. And you might remember what happened with Cain. Cain got angry. Remember that? Cain got angry. And God stops him and says, Do you do right to be angry? This is not right, Cain. You better slow it back. Now here's the words of caution that God gave to Cain. This is Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. The Lord said to Cain, Why art thou wroth? Why are you angry, Cain? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well... Shall you not be accepted? But if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire. Here's the picture. Sin's hanging out at the door, Cain. And right now you get the opportunity to make a choice. Am I going to do right or am I going to do wrong? But if you choose to go down the path of I'm going to do wrong, sin is a terrible taskmaster. His appetite is never filled. He will chase you down like a lion chases down a gazelle and he will catch you and he will never be finished. Oh, Cain, take the caution right now. Sin's waiting and from iniquity to iniquity, he will just go from one thing to the next. He will never be filled up. He will continue to take and take and take. There will only be shame as a result and the end of it is death. And you remember what Cain did? I'll walk through that door. I can control it. I'm holding on to my anger. And out in the field, kills his brother. You see, sin never says, oh, that's enough. Sin will always continue to take. And as we see here in Romans 6, 20 and 21, 
the fruit of those things of servitude to sin is being ashamed and the end of it is death. Sin will take you further than you want to go. Sin will cost you more than you want to pay. Sin will always complicate life. Sin never fills up his appetite. The fruit of being a servant to sin is shame and the end is death. But as a believer, you do not have to stay there. That's the beauty of Romans 6. As a believer, you do not have to stay there. So that brings us to the third thing, and we'll see it in verses 22 and 23. Here's our third thing. Those who are in Christ are given gifts that we do not deserve. Those who are in Christ are given gifts that we do not deserve. So let me show it to you in verses 22 and 23. Perhaps you know verse 23 from a memory verse. I hope that within the light of verses 22, it will bring us to a fuller understanding of verse 23. Here's verse 22. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness, and the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So here we have a paraphrase that says, you are no longer a servant to sin. Sin would bring wages, namely death, but instead we are servants of God, freed from sin, Servants of righteousness unto God. And those who are servants to God do not receive wages. I want that to sink in, brothers and sisters. We do not receive wages from God. He does not owe us anything. That's why it's called grace. He pours it out upon us and He gives us. We don't earn from Him. He gives to us. And as we see in point number three, we receive things that we do not deserve, namely eternal life. He gives us gifts. Now look at the end of verse 23. The gift from God is eternal life. And don't pass over these words. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Whose servant are you? Are you sin's servant? Or are you God's servant? If you're God's servant, He will be your Lord I hope that word rings a bell in your mind. He's going to be your Lord. You might remember it from the salvation verse of Romans chapter 10 that's to come in the chapters ahead. Romans chapter 10 and verse number 9. He says this, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God has raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Please don't think that this salvation thing is just, yes, I give a nod to Jesus and I got my get out of hell free ticket. That's not how this works. I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. And in raising Jesus from the dead, I know that He took my sin on the cross. That's a great thing. But then I also confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus. Don't dumb that down. You don't get to say, well, yeah, He's Jesus. No, 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 no. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. He is my master. I'm going to follow Him. He's mine. I'm His. I belong to Him. I'm no longer the slave to sin. I'm set free from sin and I'm now going to follow after Jesus. And because He's my Lord, He gives me gifts that I don't deserve. Namely, eternal life. You can see also in verse 22... There is other fruit that comes out. You remember, if I was a servant to sin, the fruit is shame, and the end is death. 
verse 22, if I'm a servant of God, the fruit is holiness. In the end, eternal life. Oh, instead of shame, I get holiness. Let me paraphrase that for you. Your life will be different. You'll look different. You'll act different. Your life will be different. You won't have to be ashamed. So we confess Him as Lord, and then we receive these gifts at His hands. He is the gracious gift giver, and what do you do with that? Well, when someone gives you a gift, what do you do? You thank them for it. And you can see Him do that back in verse 17. Look at verse 17. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. You switch sides, and I thank God for that, as Paul says to the believers As your pastor, I say, thank God that you've switched over from a servant of sin to a servant of righteousness unto God. If that has happened in your life, I pray that you would thank God that I've no longer been a servant to sin, but now I'm a servant of God unto righteousness. And the end thereof is holiness, and the gift is eternal life. God has dealt a death blow to your sin. Pastor, that I have come to love to follow Pastor Conrad Mbewe. Conrad Mbewe is a pastor in Zambia. The last 30 years, he made this statement. I read it this week, and oh, love this statement. He says, God has not only dealt a death blow to sin in our record in heaven, but He has also dealt a death blow to sin within our hearts on earth. You see, that's your salvation is what He's done. That's your identity, who it is. And now you get to live it out in this life. He's conquered sin forever in your record, and He can also, has also conquered sin in your heart, and you do not have to live as a servant to it. And we have the ability to become holy by God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So then, because of that, we give Him glory. You might remember this verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If any man glories, let him glory in the Lord. Let me read verse 30 for you. We've Mentioned verses 29 and verse 31 several times in our study of Romans. Let me show you verse 30. comes right in the middle of us giving glory. Watch the words very closely. But of Him are you in Christ Jesus, who is of God made unto us... And He's going to give us a list. Let me rephrase those words. God has made Jesus to be these things for you. That's the grammar here. God has made Jesus to be these things for you. That's what he's saying. So what are these things? Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. God made Jesus. The other one, 2 Corinthians 5.21, for He has made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. God has made Jesus to be our wisdom. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Guess where you're going to get it? You're going to get it from Jesus. We, God has made Jesus to be our righteousness. He's given us His righteousness by Jesus going to the cross. He's made Jesus to be our sanctification. You say, but I can't overcome sin. Yeah, you can. In Christ. You get in Christ and He's going to make a difference with your life. He's made, a, made Jesus to be our redemption. It's that purchase price that gets rid of God's anger upon us. He's made Jesus. So then what do we do with that? Verse 31. That as it is written, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. 
Who's the Lord? That's Jesus. Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. So if we're going to glory, we're going to glory in the Lord Jesus. Why? Because the Lord Jesus is the one who has become our sanctification. He has become the one that gives us freedom from sin. So let us glory in Him. He is the gift giver. He has given us the ability to live out the identity of who we are in Him. I'll close with this thought. As I look through Scripture, there are three different ones, three different occasions that I find of people who have had the ability, while still alive, to go before God. There are three of them in Scripture. One of them was Isaiah. If you remember Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw God in His temple was high and lifted up. You remember that? And I don't know if you remember how he reacted when Isaiah got to see God Isaiah was terrified. He curls up in the fetal position. Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. You remember that? Let me share with you what Isaiah 6 and verse 7 says. An angel came to him and he laid it upon my mouth. He's talking about a hot coal. The hot coal comes and places it on Isaiah's mouth and he says this, Lo, this has touched thy lips and thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged. See what happened? Isaiah, with his sin before a holy God, realizes, I'm going to be consumed if I'm staying this way. An angel has to step in with a hot coal and purge his lips. That's a terrifying thought. The other two happen in the New Testament. One is the Apostle Paul. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul makes this statement. He said, I got caught up to heaven, and when I was there, I saw things and heard words that were too glorious to be uttered. There's no mention in that record, there's no mention of him being scared. Instead, he's in the presence of God, and he is amazed. You see the difference? Isaiah terrified in his sin. Paul, amazed, no mention of sin. So that tells me something happened between those two. I I hope if you're a believer and you know your Bible, you know what happened between those two. So just hang on just a second. We'll go to the third one. The third one is the Apostle John. In the book of Revelation, he gets called up to heaven. This is Revelation chapter 1. He gets called up to heaven, and when John comes into heaven, he gets to have a glimpse of what's there in heaven. It says something like this, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and he says, I get called up to heaven, and when I got called up to heaven, I heard a voice and saw seven candlesticks, and there in the middle of the seven candlesticks was one. He's talking about Jesus. He says, there's one, and he was beautiful, and he, and he describes him, and he describes him in all of his glory. And John's immediate response is, I fell to the earth in front of him. You can see it. Here it is. This is Revelation 1, verses 17 and 18. Verse 17, and when I saw him, talking about Jesus, I fell on, at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me. This is the difference between Isaiah Paul. The difference is Jesus. And John's going to give us the example of it. Because when John falls down, 
He realizes his own sin, and there's only one who can make a difference, and that's Jesus. So Jesus reaches down and touches him. He laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last. So if you're going to be right with God, you need Jesus. I am the first and the last. Now here, watch what he says. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. So here's the difference maker between Isaiah with his sin has no Jesus. Jesus hasn't been born yet, hasn't gone to the cross yet. Isaiah feels the magnitude of his sin as he stands before a holy God. The Apostle Paul understands Jesus took my sin. John has this moment, and I don't know if it was a moment where he realizes what's going on, but here in this moment he falls, and what does he do when he falls before Jesus? Jesus gets his, puts his hand out on his shoulder, hey, John, stand up. I'm the one who died, and I'm the one who rose again. I'm the one who holds the keys to death and hell. I'm the one in whom you will stand before the Heavenly Father. And he raises John up, and I'll just give you a glimpse. He says, I want you to write a letter to seven churches. That happens chapter 2 and chapter 3, and then in chapter 4, John gets ushered right into the presence of the throne room of heaven. And he says, I saw things that were unbelievable. And never for the rest of the book of Revelation does John talk about how terrified he is standing before God. Instead, he's standing there in Christ. Brothers and sisters, there's coming a day when you and I will stand before God. And if you are standing in your sin, you are hopeless. But if you stand before God in Christ, everything's different. For God will look upon you as He looks upon His Son. He took all of your sin and placed it on Jesus and took Jesus' righteousness and placed it upon you. That's your identity. So until that day, please, live as though you are a servant of God. No longer a servant of sin. Father, I pray that You would help us to live our new reality. Not to be controlled by sin. We are dead to it. And now we have the option to choose to have You as our Lord. We have the ability to choose life. And so Lord, I pray that we would live that out in our lives today, God. Allow this to be more than just I came to church. And instead, Lord, I pray that it will be the Gospel is transforming my life. And so Lord, I pray that You would do a work in our hearts. May You be magnified in our lives today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Matt Allen of Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We would love to have you join us for service if you are in the area. If you need help with transportation, please give us a call on 709-1000. Again, it's 709-1000.